Today, I'm joined by Claire Louise Bennett to discuss Night Flowers. Not a book this time, or not just a book, but an installation at the Museum of Literature Ireland, Molly for short, that has been running since May and which has now been extended into February 2024. Night Flowers draws visitors into an unlit room in which the air is filled with Bennett's distinct and characterful voice. The voice conjures up images of encounters, of nature, of rooms, of interiors, sometimes homes, which are shifted and reshaped by the darkness of the room and by the beautiful dissociated images of the film, which is projected faintly onto the wall. The concerns of the text will be recognisable to admirers of Pond and Checkout 19, an urge to rest with and contemplate the mundane, a clear-eyed sense of the beauty and viciousness of nature, and a lurking sense of menace. But the experience and sense of immersion in the writer's idiosyncratic mind will be something entirely new. Claire Louise, welcome back to the Shakespeare and Company podcast. Hi, Adam. Hi. Um, so let's begin. Uh, maybe you could tell us a little bit about the um, the exhibition in uh, in your words, rather rather than mine. So, what do uh, visitors to Molly encounter when they when they when they come into the room? So the piece is on um, on the top floor of the museum. It's the museum is in a beautiful Georgian, uh, very quintessential Dublin Georgian building on uh, Stephen's Green. And I was allocated a space um, on the top floor. Um, and it's a room that I've always, I've always liked because I think it's pretty much a square room and it has a very, very high ceiling. It has two really large uh, Georgian windows that are blacked out. Um, and there's a fireplace in there. So there are these sort of remnants of, I guess, it's sort of previous domestic function. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not just a sort of a, you know, a white cube or a, mm-hmm. a blank space. Um, so I've, I've always kind of liked it, whatever was going on in it. Um, and it, because it gets sort of very dark in there. It has that sort of lovely kind of granular darkness and... Sometimes when I'm in Dublin, you know, I'm just not sure where to put myself after a while. And um, it's just, it's just kind of a nice place to be. It's dark and it's warm. (laughs) (laughs) So that's, that's a nice thing. So in terms of this installation, um, I, you know, you think about all kinds of things, I suppose, what you're going to kind of bring into a space. Mm -hmm. And then I thought, well, I just sort of like the space, really, and I don't really want to bring that much into it. You know, there's that tendency to sort of fill a space with things Mm. that refer to something outside of it and point people away from it. And I wanted to sort of keep them there Mm. and to notice sort of being there and what that feels like. So they are very much in in the room. Um, I did also want another element, another visual element to come into play as well. Um, And that's how the video piece that I developed with um, artist and photographer Mark Welsh, that's how that came about. Um, I I just wanted this other sort of dimension, I suppose, Mm -hmm. this other visual dimension, because I suppose that sort of reflects... um, maybe what's going on, I don't know, in the unconscious, something like that, you know? Mm. Um, and I, it's kind of weird because I, I kind of knew, even before I'd really written anything, that I wanted 
there to be a leopard mm. in the room. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just, that's what the room sort of seemed to demand or something. <laughs> I'm not quite sure, you know, entirely why, but that's, that's fine. I don't, I don't particularly need to. I just thought, well, all right then. And um, so that's, and, and we worked with that. We worked with that. And we worked with a very, very small um, clip. Mark was a bit aghast initially when I told him how much footage we were going to, to use. He said, what? And it's supposed to be half an hour long and uh-huh. just a few minutes. And I said, well, yeah, you know, but we really have to sort of just work with it, really. Yeah, yeah, yeah and repeat things and lengthen things and slow stuff down and all the rest of it, you know. Um, so that's so that's kind of what's going on. And then, yeah, I, I, I wrote a piece, not, not entirely from, from scratch, because I'm, I, you know, I already have such a, an interest, I suppose, in my work and always have done in interior spaces mm-hmm. um, and ways sort of of inhabiting them. Um, so I had quite a lot of material already. Yeah, yeah, in yeah. That, in that area, um, and I and I kind of like you know if I'm sort of working on a commission, I don't really like to start completely from scratch because then it just feels too intended. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And it doesn't always come off right. So that that's what I was wondering about the the text. So when you are writing a piece for a commission. Uh, and, and you knowing it's going to be read out loud in this space and knowing that it's going to exist or sort of as an art installation. Is your approach different to when you're writing something like Pond or Checkout 19? Well, no, not really, because Pond and Checkout 19 were sort, sort of the same. Like I do use a lot of material that when it was written was not necessarily intended to be read. Mm-hmm. I've just really realized that in the last <laughs> few days because I've been going through a lot of, you know, so-called material. Is it material or is it just stuff I've written? You know what I mean? In the sense that when I wrote it, did I intend for it to be, you know, what, what was my what was my intention? Mm. Well, just to write probably. So and that and that's certainly the case for both of those books. And then there reaches a point then when you you do intend for a book to happen but rather than me sitting down and ignoring all this stuff that I've accumulated (laughs) I kind of have a route around in it and think well what's there what have I got what's you know what's um what's been on my mind I suppose what is it that uh, fascinates me or what is it that I just keep going over and over what are the things you know so you know rather than I suppose forcing something um or inventing something (laughs) But then, the, you know, the invent, I suppose the invention and the creativity occur because then it's a question of working with that material and making yeah. it into an experience. Um, so, so the material you had in this case was some, you had a few sort of scraps, a few pieces of writing which you kind of melded together or which you expanded into something more? Yeah, kind of. And then there were, I suppose there are sections of it that did sort of um, come about um at the time as well, as mm-hmm. I was working on this, they're new, you know, they're new pieces. They just sort of came about quite sort of quickly. Um, yeah, it's funny because I sort of write about writing mm-hmm. a, an awful lot. <laughs> <laughs> and I was writing about this project uh, an awful lot. And, um, you know, kind of what I wanted to do. and ha- But it wasn't happening. And why wasn't it kind of happening? And then 
and then amongst that I'd sort of little things would occur and then it's a question of me going back through that too and finding those kind of little glimpses like that line about um let me just see now it's right at the back the man who once lived here once told me that a woman once lived here and she once looked just like me that line you know and I love that and I thought it's got a real nice rhythm to it so that ca that came to me mm -hmm. um because I sort of saw that anyway when I was in that room I did kind of see a man in there and and I had a sense of something like that kind of happening, you know. Um, and I and I like how that line plays with sort of time and that sense of, you know, who who's there. Yeah. And who's been there and who's there now and are they really there now? And do you remind them of someone or are they seeing you or someone else? And all those things, you know, all yeah. those things that just kind of fascinate me about places which which in a way makes it sort of quite site specific i guess because there's something very particular i guess about um a museum room or a sort of an exhibition space room and you said you've been there sort of you would often go there um when you were in dublin <laughs> to keep warm or i guess maybe to see yeah. other exhibitions or other things that might have been in in that space yeah. and it's funny that the sort of in in a weird kind of way i guess that each of those visits knits together something through time in a way you have sort of the, the one location but mm -hmm. several different sort of temporal temporal mm -hmm. moments and I think that's we feel that in the text actually we feel this kind of this sense of sort of both consistency and fragmentation at the same time mm -hmm. yeah I suppose yeah um and I, I think I think what it think well I suppose retrospectively looking looking at my exploration maybe of um you know, so-called domestic spaces or interior spaces. I mean, I've always sort of had that kind of fascination with with them, which is curious because on the other hand, I've always had this sort of resistance to realism. Mm -hmm. And just recently I was uh, rereading um, the Joris Karl Hussmann's book, mm. um, Aribor or yeah. against against nature, which I don't know if that's a very good translation, but in a way, what it is, it's against naturalism, mm -hmm. and he was writing against that and against um, that sort of fictional world that Zola was creating, mm. and he started off writing in that mode, but he kind of got fed up of it. And the naturalist mode, I suppose, was focusing very much on what can be seen and what mm -hmm. was surveyable. And then from there, I suppose, what was sort of classifiable, mm -hmm. which meant that then you could kind of control it and you could kind of predict it and all these kinds of things. Mm -hmm. So even though, in a sense, it did have a very um, interesting sort of function, sort of socially and looking at society and all that kind of thing, it also ended up in his view and I think in my own in a way just sort of very much focusing on well, what was sort of um uh quantifiable mm. and sort of the common the common experience the average mm. person or the average you know whatever that might whatever that might entail um and so and he said it's getting you know getting a bit sort of repetitive and it's not really um, bringing in enough of the extraordinary mm -hmm. and um, 
the imaginative, I suppose, and those areas of our of ourselves that are just more mysterious, yeah, and and less easy to identify and depict, yeah, and to predict, and all the rest of it. So that was his resistance, and I and I kind of get it. And you know, uh, bearing in mind also that I've always sort of in one way or another or was for a long time involved with with theater mm-hmm. and um i had a frustration with with realism as it plays out in in the theatrical world uh for that for that mm. reason i suppose i always felt a sort of a frustration with it um and i and i think with him then he what it, I suppose what it's associated with all of that is then the social world and human mm-hmm. interaction. Mm-hmm. And if you think about those books and if you think about those plays, a lot of the time they are very much uh, focused on um, family, mm-hmm. um, either, you know, people trying to get together, uh, arrange certain sort of unions, marriage unions, um, or trying to undermine them or trying to get out of them or, you know, it's mm-hmm. it's really around family. And what yeah. was so interesting about um, Against Nature, of course, is that this is an individual who turns his back on that. Yeah. yeah and he yeah. goes and lives on his own. And so what do we have? What do we have then? Uh, <laughs> like, yeah. what, so what is this novel? Well, it's a plotless novel, right? <laughs> Here we go. Um, but there's an awful lot of detail mm. in it. It's not that there isn't any description in it. There's so much description in it. But we have a life that instead of being um, focused around, I suppose, sort of the domestic and, and, and dinners and meetings and conversations and all the rest, completely revolves around his five senses. Uh You know? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think the... The, the five senses and the, you mentioned the imagination earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, there's one bit in that book. It's actually when he's, he's not in the house, but he goes to, if I remember right, the Galignani booksellers on Rivoli and um, because he's planning a trip to London. Mm. And he, um, he he reads a guidebook to London and then he gets actually goes to London in his mind. Mm. And then afterwards he decides, like, well, there's really no point me visiting London now because it cannot match this kind of this spiritual journey that I've had, you know, in, into the London of my mind. And so he goes back to to his house. And like, I've heard people speak about that as if it was something completely ridiculous. And yet, I think probably a lot of writers would identify with that, with that feeling, actually, of the kind of the, just the, the surfeit of imagination and kind of overflowing sort of force of it and the effect it can have on the body and the senses that, yeah, the kind of the London of the mind will perhaps for a lot of people actually be superior to, you know, London as it is. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's a fabulous bit in the book. And then he just returns and um, feels quite sort of satisfied that he's had this experience, <laughs> um, which, you know, I, yeah, I can certainly identify with um, for sure. Um, that feeling that, you know, what what is it, I suppose we feel like we we are going to experience when we go to a place you know mm-hmm. what is what is londonness i suppose and yeah. i think the fact that he goes to that bookstore and it's and it's raining a great deal is the thing that kind yeah. of kicks off this idea <laughs> <laughs> and he goes into a cafe doesn't it and there's lots of english people in there and and it gets all a bit foggy and steamed up inside <laughs> which, you know it's kind of very english actually so um he doesn't get it from nowhere um i yeah it's 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 great, but ultimately, I mean, it, it's such a it's such a an overwhelming book in all of its sort of very mm. specific kind of detail. Mm. And as I was reading it, I was thinking, oh God, you know, I created that that 
character, Tarquin Superbus, in, in mm. well, I created him a long time ago before before reading um, uh, Ari Bor. Um, but it, I think it must have been, I was aiming towards the same, a similar kind of uh -huh. thing, you know, this sort of fascination with this um, aesthetic, you know, life mm. and this decadent kind of, you know, um, just, uh, I don't know, the exotic and the strange mm. and uh, to, it reaches a point where it it does actually become quite sort of dark, you know, there yeah. is something. And it's a kind of supposed to, you know, it is in a way like this rejection of anything kind of natural or, mm -hmm. or organic. It's this sort of bizarre artifice. And he get, I mean, he gets very ill in the end, doesn't he? He mm -hmm. can't, somehow he just can't sort of take it or something. It's um, It's just not a very natural environment obviously for him to, to sort of be in. So he has to sort of return to Paris. Yeah. But, um, but I mean, so just thinking about, thinking about that and then thinking, I guess, maybe about, you know, other, other books and other representations of the solitary mm -hmm. figure, you know, in, in, inside, you know, because we suppose, I suppose we're used to them being represented as being on the road, for example. Right. Yeah. You yeah. know, in transit, traveling, flinner, whatever. But I mean, what are they up to when they're at home kind of thing? Mm. Or, and I was thinking a lot also about, um, you know, I mentioned in, in Nightflowers, boarding house. I mean, mm. I just love that, even that term boarding house. To me, it just conjures up Jean Reese every uh -huh. time. You know? And Anne Quinn as well. I would and think. I was going to say then, yeah, of course, Anne Quinn. Yeah. And that idea again of, I mean, I would certainly have, if I was alive, what, I don't know, 50 years ago, I certainly would have spent time in a boarding house I possibly would still be in one now you know there's no there's no doubt about it and I do feel slightly cheated that uh, that I that my literary life is not in, in, involved that at any, any point because residences aren't the same and I just I mean it just fascinated me when I when I you know would read about different characters being these boarding houses and you know that someone would come in in the morning and kind of stoke your fire up for you and I don't know, even offer you kippers for lunch or whatever. He'd be like, bloody hell, that's not bad, is it? <laughs> <laughs> I won't mind a bit of that. And uh, I loved that in um, Francesca Wade's book, you know, the Mecklenburg Square. Uh -huh. And I, I think it's an awful shame in a way that that's something of that legacy, that Bloomsbury legacy of, you know, those those homes that were made very available it seems to sort of women they were in and out of each other's homes and they mm -hmm. kind of shared them and if one was off down the country she'd say oh you can have my flat for a bit and all that kind of thing and that's kind of you know that's kind of gone which is a pity in a way I, I think it's a shame that there isn't a boarding house mm. in Bloomsbury you know I think I think something like that should should be preserved actually because I think it's a, a wonderful it was a wonderful resource, actually. For... And that feeds back into the idea of kind of, I guess, families and social structures. Right. Uh, in a way, because like, I suppose the boarding house existed in order to provide a place for for women in this case, to who were not necessarily in that sort of familial right. structure in a sense. They were too old to be children, but they perhaps are not married or something. And so there was sort of, in a way, that the structure the existence of the structure seems to function a little bit, at least, I guess, as an acceptance of the of the uh, of people's existence outside these certain prescribed roles. Absolutely, yeah, that's right. Yeah, absolutely.
since my eyes were looking at his face while his mouth went on talking, it is reasonable to say I narrowed my eyes at him. I could not speak. Not one word came to me. I narrowed my eyes. It was very serious what he was talking about. As serious and delicate matter he'd carried in his mind just as if it were a bag from his house into mine. And I didn't want to hear it. It was too serious, too grievous. It didn't belong here. What could I do? Why confide in me? I couldn't accommodate it. How could I? Besides, by and by I'd hardly be privy to how it all played out. Yet here and now I'm going to have to say something. I knew that, and it sunk me. Look, I'm narrowing my eyes, and there are many more things besides. So many little things you'll never see me do. Perhaps I'd hoped he'd say, What are you doing that for, with your eyes? No, I didn't want him to say that or anything like it. Of course I didn't. If he'd asked me that, it would have been grossly impertinent, would it not? And wouldn't I have narrowed my eyes even more, narrowed my eyes with even more feeling, in fact, because who is he, after all, to ask me what for? I narrowed my eyes, as if to let a little less of what I didn't want in. I was furious. Furious to think that in the moments before he left his house, he was not thinking about being somewhere he'd never been before, namely my house. Instead, he had this other bleak matter from long ago going on anew inside his mind and brought it with him, forcible and intact, from his house right the way into mine. I didn't want to have to say anything. I didn't want to have to go looking for the right words. I wanted it to stop. Just this once I wanted it all to come naturally, that was the point, wasn't it? Nothing in the way, just this once. Nothing in the way. It was the first thing. It was what he arrived with. It was what was already stirring up his mind as he entered the room, and I do not know where he put his coat. I just do not know. It escapes me. I scan the room, and it isn't anywhere. In he came, and this matter along with him. I don't know where he thought he was. As he went on, I could no longer tell where I was. Everything around me, including myself, in fact, felt strange and impervious, and after a while, I must say, I didn't much mind that. Must I show I care? Must I show I am listening? Must I show that I am concerned and persipatious and compassionate? Must I unfurl? Must I? Must I? Must I make a God Almighty show of myself? Takes the life right out of me. Something must have taken place, taken, yes, place taken over, taken over by some old drama, some old scene, same old thing, or perhaps all was quiet and only one, day in, day out, only one, and doing what? Doing the days and sleeping the nights, but not unerringly, waking during the night and nodding off during the day, wake in the night, same time, same place, same start, all is pressing in, and not a soul during the day. One thing I find really fascinating about your work, and I, it's particularly present in Night Flowers, although it's also in Checkout 19 and, and Pond, it's there very much too, is that I think you really capture the circularity of the thought processes of the, the solitary person, mm -hmm. uh, which I think is something that's very hard actually to, to replicate uh, on the page. There's kind, of a, there's kind of a rhythm to it and a kind of 
yeah, I guess I mean circularity is, is the best word I can think of to describe it. That you because of you thoughts get launched, they go somewhere, and then almost without you really realizing it, they loop back around to the sort of to the starting point or near the starting point, and then kind of set off again. Um, I'm curious to know if that's something which I suppose how you get that onto the page. Is it something which you sort of have to sort of really work at to 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 make sure what's on the page mirrors these kind of internal dynamics, or is it something perhaps what we might consider a bit more poetic in its flow that it just, you know, it, it comes out of you almost sort of fully formed once you tap into that, that rhythm. Yeah. Well, I think, I think writing is maybe like, yeah, a way of, a way of kind of thinking and it mm. for me. So it's not, um, yeah, it's not a kind of a, a, con- a contrived thing or a, and if you know an effect kind of thing it's sort of what you know it's sort of what's kind of happening mm-hmm. um and i suppose like i said it goes back to that thing of sort of using material that in the first place when it was first written it wasn't with a view to it being read particularly mm-hmm. it was sort of for my own um uh, i suppose just to, to, to figure out you know where I where I was with something, mm-hmm. where I am with with a particular thing, um, and so, and then and then I suppose, you know, yeah, they're kind of workings out if you like, and then when it comes to um, uh, you you know using that material and for kind of a, a literary um, work, I I I don't discard. I don't discard the workings no. out really. Mm. They're sort of this, you know what I mean? It's not yeah, like, yeah. I don't think, well, uh, it, these thoughts have to arrive at a particular end and it's mm. the end that's of sort of any value or whatever. I, you know, I don't really, I don't really think about it in, in that way. It's, mm-hmm. it's, I mean, and the repetition is kind of interesting to me and yeah. Mm. Um, just, I'm just thinking about something about Anne Quinn, actually, mm-hmm. as as we mentioned her. Um, something just I just thought of earlier about this business about against realism, because of course she had no she had no time for it either. Because mm-hmm. I mean, there was a big resurgence of realism yeah. in in the UK in British theatre in the 1950s. Um, I suppose one of the most famous plays being Look Back in Anger, right? Mm-hmm. And um, and then you had depicted on the stage very very much these very realistic sets of the interiors mm-hmm. of well it was the kitchen right yeah I mean, it was sink, I guess yeah. middle yeah exactly middle kitchen sink dramas I guess when it was the middle upper classes we were always in the kind of the drawing room or whatever mm-hmm. but with the working class of course you're always in the kitchen this. <laughs> Dishes to be washed and ironing to be done, and there it was on the stage, you know, the ironing board, and um, and she, yeah, and she, so she didn't really have any interest in working mm. in that mode whatsoever. Um, so in a way, I thought, yeah, she is, a, you know, she's a kind of a bit of a, a decadent or a husman herself. Mm. Particularly some of the descriptions in um, Berg, if you think about the descriptions of that of that flat. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. And they are actually not it's that far removed, you know, in terms of like she just doesn't she describe what's in the cabinets and mm. it's just 
so excessive. There's such an excess, you know, in that in that decadent way of of sort of detail and description. So yeah, I just had that I just had that thought earlier. Um, it's interesting, I guess, as well. Like we talked when we spoke about Chekhov nineteen, we talked quite a lot about class and like writers sort of I guess the, the the world of writing and the world of books and class and like I guess in in a funny kind of way with Anne Quinn that sort of that decadence it is in a sense is a kind of a, a sort of class resistance too like it's mm. because I think there is and it's it still persists today that there you know if you are from a working class background you are expected to write you know mm. about working class things a supposed working class concerns so you know mm post-industrial things or you know sort of I don't know domestic abuse or you know poverty ridden mm-hmm. families and things like that mm-hmm. and when writers do sort of push against that a little bit it's sort of I don't know they get called sort of alternative or experimental or something like that when they're from the working class rather yeah. than it being accepted from from people from more sort of let's say traditionally decadent classes that's true or pretentious that kind of thing mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah but um yeah it's it's funny because i i have of course like a i suppose a conflicted relationship to these things i mean there are some absolutely beautiful lists for example in um against nature and i've always loved lists and mm-hmm. um and i and i like kind of writing them and there's some good ones in in Checkout 19, and I think there is, there's probably some in Night Flowers as well, these kind of wild sort of inventories of, of there is, of course, in, in that. Um, and this sort of uh, fascination, I suppose, with excess. Mm. But on the other hand, I also have this sort of, um, I suppose, uh, a pull towards sort of, I guess, emptiness and, mm. and, and having like nothing and, um, sort of, you know, rejecting, um, rejecting all of that and, and something and occupying a sort of a space sort of mentally and materially that is, um, just very, very stripped down, mm. you know, that's interesting. Cause I guess night flowers in a weird way sort of embodies both. Because yeah. there is sort of there's a an, the emptiness to the room, but there's also the the lushness, the sort of the fullness to the words, mm-hmm. and the way that the sort of you know the way that your voice fills the room, and to the the images as well, which you worked on with um, Mark Walsh, and sort of um, there is yeah, there's a lot of a lot of nature in there. You know, you mentioned the leopard. There's mm-hmm. sort of a lot of this kind of almost even though the the images aren't that always that clear or that sort of um, difficult that easy to pick out details there is a certain a, a sort of a, a, an abundance of nature or an abundance of something in mm. the the images mm. we we get so I yeah it's interesting to think that night flowers are kind of straddling those mm. those two positions or maybe bringing them together I don't know by finding what's common in both yeah there I yeah there is something sort of I don't know something some sort of force there or something sort of bizarrely sort of unpredictable because mm. and it's that thing I suppose where a lot of the time domestic space is seen as well it's associated I suppose with drudgery a lot of mm-hmm. the time you know having to do housework or and routine and all of that 
sort of thing. But of course, we also know it's a place where kind of very peculiar things happen. Mm-hmm. And um, I recently wrote an introduction for a Maeve Brennan book that focuses on um, two two couples living in a Dublin house mm-hmm. um, in, I guess, when would it have been? Oh, I don't know. Uh, oh, I don't know now. 1920s, maybe? Mm-hmm. Something like that. I'd have to check that. Um, and... It's attention to detail is fabulous, you know, and he comes home from work in both cases and, you know, she has the tea ready and all this kind of thing. But there's, I, well, I've kind of picked, I don't know whether I was sort of a bit off on, off on a kind of a tangent or whatever with this, but to me, there was definitely a, a very strong Gothic element mm. in, in mm. her writing and in her depiction of these homes and the people in them. And there's always that sort of, because what she what she was kind of tuning into was that sense of sort of underlying menace yeah. and actual like hatred that one can sometimes sort of feel for the person that you know they live with and it's sometimes it's completely sort of unfounded and quite unjustified but um and then that sense also as well that they're there all the time every day and then you look at them and you think i don't know who the hell that is mm. really you know i don't mm. really know and it feels weird, you know, and then and you, and you kind of kind of feel a bit weird as well, you know. And there's that sort of thing sometimes where you they might catch your eye, and you're a bit like, I don't know. Mm. For a moment, you've just sort of slipped outside of the mm. of the usual framework that makes sense of you both being in that place at the same time together in that way, day after day. You know, there's a certain slippage that sometimes occurs just for a split second, and it all feels a bit odd, or or quite, you know, alarming even. Um, so I love, mm. I love all that, you know, I find that really, really, really fascinating. Yeah. The, un- there's a weird kind of uncanniness of the familiar in yeah, a way. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, there's a moment, um, like it's, it's night flowers is a difficult text to kind of extract things kind of to, to, to talk about specifically, but there, because it works so well as a whole and it just kind of flows, but there's, there's one moment, which I think kind of embodies that sort of uncanniness where, where you write, uh, as I'm, you're writing about uh, a wall and you said, as I'm looking at it, it occurs to me and not for the first time that this wall in front of me doesn't belong here. It's clear to me that this wall was in a different room in another house somewhere else entirely. It's not at home here. It's out of place and has not settled and never will settle. Mm. And there was yet yeah, something so deeply familiar about that feeling, mm. not necessarily about a wall, but just at this moment of yeah, uncanniness, I guess. Mm. Um, and interesting, you say it's not at home here because I think I may mm. be getting this wrong, but I think the original German of the sense uncanny is unheimlich uh, or something like that, right. which means sort of unhomely or, you know, sort of yeah. not at home or something exactly. like that. So yeah. connected to that idea. Um, and yeah, that just that 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 seemed to embody a little bit of that that sort of uncanniness that you were talking about in relation to place, I guess, rather than people. Yeah, yeah. And it's funny, yeah, because rather than thinking I don't feel at, at home here, it's sort of, you know, kind of projecting it, mm. and um, and there and there there can be a sense sometimes when you feel like the house is in some way just not with you. It's mm. just not. It's it's sort of like I said to you uh, before we started the interview I've lived in this house now and it's quite a big house actually it's the biggest house I've ever lived in and I live in it on my own 
I mean, there's two reception rooms downstairs mm. and the kitchen, and then there's three bedrooms up. Anyway, it's, mm. and it's a lovely house, and it's got it's built in the 50s, and it's in the middle of the countryside. And, um, and it's taken me... It's taken me a while to sort of really feel like I'm living in it. Yeah. You know, that we are, that we're kind of rubbing up against each other mm. quite well now. And there is a sense of it being a thing and kind of a living thing, you know, that I kind of, yeah, there's a, yeah, there's a, it's like a relationship mm. there of some kind. And, um, I didn't feel that initially, you know, there was yes. a sort of a sense of it being quite distant or something. And I was just sort of in it and uh-huh. not of it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. And then there can be other places, you know, like the cottage I lived in for a long time. I knew at a certain point, if I stayed in it too long, it would kind of turn on me. Mm. You know, I knew at a certain point I'd... I'd got from it all I I I could in a in a way you know what I mean and to keep to keep hanging on there or something just it would end up being sort of detrimental. Mm-hmm. So when I, I mean it was very difficult to move on from there in a way because it was sort of the ideal sort of Bachelardian home you know it was this stone rose almost. Mm. Um, I mean, it was it was an incredible, so elemental in a way. I mean, it was it was entirely um, elemental. I I think one of the things that really fascinated me about it when I first moved in is I I could point to anything in it and I knew what it was made of. You mm. know, it was either made from granite or limestone or oak or brass or you know what I mean. There was nothing weird that I was a bit like, oh, I wonder what that is. You know what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> it was like it was very clear what what the materials were you know um and I, I sort of liked that I sort of liked knowing what those mm. things sort of were that I found that sort of quite reassuring in some in some way that I kind of got what they were and where they came from and it, yeah whereas now you know a lot of things I just don't really know yeah not so much in this house, actually, because it is quite old. But you know what you mean? There's just all these kind of weird sort of materials now. And you're a bit like, I'm not really sure. Is that is that glass or is that plastic? Is it going to break? Am I, can I put that on it? Or what's going on? You know what you mean? And <laughs> yeah, that feeling of like the house t- potent- or like inevitably going to turn on you, I think is is fascinating as well. And I think, again, that's something we find in the text of Night Flowers, not so much there's, you know, specifically a house turning on you, but like this sense of the the space having a very sort of direct impact on the the on your feelings, on the mood, on the way mm. that you the way that you act when you're inhabiting it. Mm. Yeah, that's yeah, that's true. I mean, I certainly did feel it sometimes when I, I got back to the cottage after being away. I almost felt, I, there was one day I got back from Paris. It was like, and, what are you doing here? And it was like, oh, not you again. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you'd gone. Yeah, haven't you found something else to do now? Um, <laughs> and I and I don't know whether that's sort of associated with, I mean, you're right, because in, in that place, obviously, that's where I wrote The Pond. Mm. And I, that was a book that was very much concerned with, you know, things and materials and you know paying attention on that on that level um and 
that's not a book I, I could reproduce or probably I could have written anywhere else particularly. Mm-hmm. And then, um, and check out 19 was, you know, it's a kind of a busier book, a more socially minded book, I suppose. And I wrote that in the middle of, of town in, in Galway in an apartment yeah. I was living in at the time during lockdown. Um, so even though everything around me was sort of quite quiet, it was like all the noise and whatever of the previous few years was still, I don't know, in some way kind of stimulating me to mm. a degree and with a certain energy, I suppose. Um, and a kind of, uh, it was, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a le- much less solitary book, right? Cause that, that just yeah, wasn't yeah, the sort yeah. of life I was sort of living. So now I think, you know, which makes me wonder now what, what's, what's going to occur in this place, you know, cause like I said, it's, I've got, I've got different room. I've got a project that I'm doing in the upstairs room. Like it's, and which is separate from work that I do downstairs. Mm. Mm. Um, I'm I'm going through actually um, material. I don't know if it's right to call it material. Anyway, it's stuff. Anyway, that I that I wrote. Um, going back, some of it goes back to the previous millennium. Some of it's really old, and I haven't ever really got into it. Uh-huh. I've never, I've just kind of I've just kind of moved it around, you know, in in yeah, the yeah, same yeah. old trunk and. I don't know whether it's, well, it's a combination of things. It's a combination of having the space um, to actually get into it and open it up. And I don't know if it's in Night Flowers or I wrote it somewhere, but I think it is in Night Flowers. There's a line where she says, oh, that's it. I'll have a room and a house where I can lay it all out. Mm. She does say that, actually. One of these, here it is. One of these days I will have a room and a house where I can lay it all out and what a fine house it will be. Well, that's it. I'm in a house where I can lay it all out. And I am, and I'm doing it in that upstairs room. Mm. And it was very daunting at first getting into it because like I said, it's really old material. And again, you know, when I was writing it, I wasn't writing it with the intention of it being read by anybody else. Yeah. You know, so it's really, it's really personal. It's really direct. And it's like, you know, and it's covering those years of your life, which are just... You know, how do you get through them? <laughs> how am I still here? Jesus Christ. Flipping heck. Did it, ever, did it ever let up, you know? I mean, oh, crikey. So it's hard going, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? It's it's hard going. And I don't know. So anyway, I'm looking, I'm, I'm looking, I'm going through that. And mm-hmm. uh, I don't know what's going to happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, it, it, but it's definitely the house to be doing that, you know? And I, and I love the the fact that there is just this this room upstairs which is pretty much dedicated to that project and that excavation I yeah. suppose it feels like the right place for it it wasn't happening downstairs when I tried to do it downstairs I was getting really impatient and I was being very hard on myself and I just my main objective really was just to get rid of stuff mm-hmm. so I actually burnt a lot of stuff at the beginning of the year and then I stopped and I thought well I'm not doing this right am I <laughs> You know what you mean? I don't know what's going on. And then I just, yeah, I just moved it upstairs and my attitude towards it all changed. Like Mm. right away, I was just much gentler with it. Because like when you're upstairs, you're just a bit softer anyway, aren't you, I suppose? Because you're either going to go to bed or you've just got up or you're going to get in the bath Mm. or you're folding up some laundry or you're going to do a bit of ironing or you know it's just a bit like when I'm downstairs I do get a little bit like well what's this doing here or Uh you know am I going to go there or some you know whatever not always but 
it's a little bit more like that downstairs. Mm -hmm. It's interesting because you mentioned earlier that you, um, obviously your background was in theatre. And in a sense, I guess Night Flowers is sort of, could be considered sort of a staged piece of writing to an extent Mm. and a lot of our conversation so far has been about kind of rooms and and spaces and and I guess the way we inhabit them and the effect they they have on us um which makes me wonder if the sort of the the sort of the situating of night flowers of like taking this text and putting in a room and, and working with the room and working with this uh this artist as well I was going to ask one of the questions I wrote down was kind of how naturally it came to somebody who's so used to working on the page. But after this conversation, I kind of get the sense that in a weird kind of way, that's your natural working environment in a sense, like having mm-hmm. having a space to to inhabit and to and to mm-hmm. let affect you. Yeah, I think I think it is. And um I know when I when I finished it, I felt I felt really quite um, excited about um, the possibility of doing something kind of more, maybe with this or along the same lines or. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I haven't done any theatrical work for quite a number of years now, over 10 years. And I do kind of miss it. Mm. There is something very special about being in a space with other people and experiencing text and images I mean I I love it um and I mean and I did think for for a long long time about what that might involve if one wasn't doing a play for example right like I was looking at post-traumatic theater for a long time that just means post-traumatic just means that you know you're going beyond just drama like Uh i.e the story the plot the characters and so on and a person representing a character and, you know, a stage set representing an elsewhere kind of thing. Um, I was, I mean, I, I was looking at that for quite a number of years in a very, in a very deep way. It was part of my PhD. Um, and as I've been going through, like I said, all these old papers and stuff, I do kind of come and cr- come across some of my notes and so on. And it's, you know, it still kind of fascinates me. I'm still kind of, because it's just that sense of like again that cusp of, of of realism, and I love I love thinking about you know the disintegration in, in a way of all those sorts of conventions, and I spoke yeah what you know what what can kind of happen instead or I don't know there's something about it that it really I don't know it really excites me so I don't I I yeah I'm thinking about and then of course can't really have this conversation anyway without mentioning Beckett Mm. (laughs) Um, I've been I've been a you know a fellow at at the University of Reading creative fellow now really I think my my term has come to an end but it hasn't sort of really um because it's kind of tricky for me to get over to Reading for one thing that's very Beckettian the the residency that never ends yeah yeah I think they know they're sort of stuck with me actually (laughs) I I met James Nelson um a few Mm. weeks ago which was wonderful you know his biographer um he's 90 now and I was talking to him for quite a long time which was which was wonderful and then in addition to that I've recently been given a um, like a what would you call it I guess a, a bursary to spend time at the uh, atelier the Beckett mm. atelier that um is run by the Irish company Gars and Lazar uh-huh. so that involves three trips over um they're just I think north west of Paris mm-hmm. it's a new it's a new thing um so 
and given that that's a theatrical company there might be an opportunity there just to I don't know just to see if I can get something up on its feet and I don't yeah I'm not sure I'm not sure how it's going to pan out but um I'm I'm certainly excited by yeah what might what might occur because I mean I spoke with Beckett it's just his use of space is just extraordinary Mm. right I mean where like where are you Mm. like who are you and when are you and all that kind of thing and and all the things that you think are essential to the dramatic world Mm. are taken away you know they're just not there I mean, it's amazing. Yeah, and proved unnecessary. And proved unnecessary. And then, so what have you got? What are you looking at? Where are we? What are we inhabiting? You know, it's just so... And so, yeah. And I've been... Yeah, and I I guess I was... I've been looking at that also because I was reading the trilogy Mm. again. (laughs) I mean, the name... Oh, my God. Because he... I mean... They're tough, but by the time you get to the unnameable, he's really not giving you anything, and it, it's 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 a, it's a hard read, my golly. Um, but something that interested me, obviously, is also when I'm thinking about you know me going through my my archive, so called, as you might say, is is this act of self inscription, you mm. know, which is mm. right there in all three novels. I mean, we're reading what what's being written as it's being written, kind of thing. Um, and so that's another element that that I find kind of fascinating that connection between I suppose your interior space Mm -hmm. and the world you're inhabiting and in the end you know it's there is no outer world in the end Uh you know what I mean because I remember writing a story years ago actually about um, about a house that had no exterior I really liked that idea it had Mm. no outside whatsoever such a weird thing um and that I mean that is quite piketty and really you know so and I yeah so I love I love all of that really it almost feels like a kind of Wittgensteinian language game it's sort of something you could say it's a concept you can describe but try and picture what that means and your brain can't quite do it in a way well I mean because when you're indoors I mean when I'm indoors now I don't I'm not thinking about the outside whatsoever Mm. you know what I mean and if you're in a house long enough that's the weird thing isn't it I'm not thinking at all about the exterior of it so in a way it's it has no exterior to me so that's that doesn't really require much imagining it's in in a sense you know it becomes very but then I suppose you have to go out once in a while that's probably (laughs) (laughs) and remember oh What's that behind me? Oh, it's my house. Jesus Christ. That's where I've been. <laughs> Looming over you, smiling at you. <laughs> you just put me in mind of another line, which I think it's repeated, maybe only repeated once in, in Night Flowers, but really st- stood out to me, um, was the world turns one way and the earth another. Yeah. Which, again, seems to capture that sense, I guess, of interiority and exteriority kind of moving to different rhythms or in different um on, di- on think, different planes yeah i think i think yeah i might have that's a reference to um i think that's from heidegger actually ah that difference between i suppose you know world and and earth and world also being you know the constructed place mm-hmm. i suppose and mm-hmm. earth being the kind of the material sort of right. organic indifferent mm. Uh, zone, you know, 
whereas yeah the world is humanized socialized kind of whatever it is um but, and, I, and I just I, I enjoyed that distinction I don't know whether my own my own distinction is is like his particularly I think my way of yeah maybe along similar lines but that um and then there's that Laurie Anderson lyric isn't there about there is another world inside of this one mm spinning inside of this and I loved that idea as well because of course that's always going on isn't it I mean we're never fully where we are and yeah whoever you're talking with you know you can never really assume that they're fully present with you you know there's always they're always a little bit somewhere else aren't they Mm -hmm. um so so yeah and I think I think certainly night flowers kind of reflect sort of the the multiplicity of that I suppose Mm -hmm. of not only all the different things that have gone on in a room, but how many people are in it when there might only be two people in it. Yeah. 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 And, and all the different places that they're, you know, presently occupying and so on. Um, and I, yeah, I, I, and I enjoy, I think that's just more, for me, it's just more sort of interesting and yeah. I mean, just to go back to the beginning of the conversation, we're talking about, I suppose the, how fragmented it is but to me I guess it feels actually really more realistic Mm -hmm. in a way than a traditionally realist kind of depiction of of a an interior space Mm -hmm. that shows it to be something sort of stable and constant and reliable um with people just sort of coming and going and doing their bit and all right you've got a lot of the time maybe a bit of subtext going on or whatever but everything is either you know psychologically available to some degree or analyzable or it's um semiotically sort of available do you know what I mean Mm -hmm. whereas in the sense that it's available is what I mean but spaces aren't like that and the way we occupy them isn't like that yeah at all um and I don't know. I suppose it's to do with memory as well, isn't it? It's the sort of the nature of of memory as well, you know. Certain just sort. Of, and she says, you know, it's just certain scenes. Just certain scenes sort of come to you, don't they? Life is a series of kind of scenes and that kind of thing. That kind mm. of flash. And it's gone. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> On which note, Claire Louise, I'm going to have to quote, I think, Tarquin Superbus. All right. He says something along the lines of, uh, adieu, I could have spoken to you all night, right? (laughs) (laughs) It has been um, a massive pleasure as always. um, Night Flowers is on at the Museum of Literature Island until February, hopefully the end of February, we think. I think it's probably the end of February, yeah. They haven't specified yet. And then who knows, for listeners not, in Dublin or not planning on visiting Dublin, perhaps touring yeah. to a city or gallery so. near them <laughs> sometime. Yeah. Um, Claire, Louise, it's been a pleasure as ever to talk to you. Yeah. Uh, thank you for coming Likewise. on. Thanks a million. Um, that was great. Thank you for listening to the Shakespeare and Company podcast. If you've enjoyed this conversation, it would be great if you could help us spread the word by reviewing or rating us in your favourite app or just by sending the link to your friends. And don't forget... If you'd like even more from Shakespeare and Company, you can subscribe now through Apple Podcasts or Patreon for just €3 a month. Links to both are available in the show notes to this episode. 
production of this podcast is all done in-house here at Shakespeare and Company Paris. All music is by Alex Fryman, whose album Play It Gentle is available to buy or stream wherever you listen. We'll be back soon. Until then, take care and thanks again for listening. <laughs>